All right, good morning and God's blessings to everyone here. Um, the first verse that I'm going to read is found in Ephesians chapter 4, and it's verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And I'm going to be, um, there's five, five different positions or, say, gifts that are mentioned here, and I'm going to be addressing the last three of those. And Ephesians 4, 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers. Now, I'm just kind of curious, how many of you believe that God knows everything? Raise your hands if you believe that God knows everything. All right. Um, looks like we got a, a super majority there. Um, how many of you know everything? Raise your hand. Got a little boy here that knows everything. That's good. All right, so we see a little disparity here. So we believe that God knows everything, and by your hand raising, we also believe that we as individuals do not know everything. So it's mentioned in Ephesians 4 that God has given gifts to certain individuals, to certain people, and to fulfill, to try to close that gap. Because God knows everything, we don't know everything, so there's a disparity there. So we want to close that gap with the gifts that God gives out. Now I'm going to be addressing primarily the last three here, and, and the message this morning, I'm going to deal with um, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, and then after that, going into what is the role of, I'm not going to use the word common person, but basically you guys, because you're more than just common. As a believer, you are empowered with a gift, with, empowered with the word, and empowered by God. And so just in case some of you are sitting here thinking that I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a teacher, then I don't have anything to do. I'm scot-free because we will address that later. The first one, evangelist, evangelist's job is to reach the unbelievers primarily. And evangelist is anointed to go out beyond the four walls of the church and to take the message of the gospel of Christ to unbelievers. An evangelist typically has a heart to reach the lost, the hurting, and the disenfranchised. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, it gives a, it gives a charge to the evangelist, and, it, and one of the things it, sa it says is to fulfill or to fill the working of the ministry. And, and what it does is it means is make your work complete. Don't just go and start it, don't go into half-heartedly, but make that ministry full. Some of the things I wrote down to or what an evangelist should have is an evangelist should have a deep faith in God, have a deep relationship with God, and also have joy. Um, should have an excellent reputation, be disciplined in life, and committed to the task regardless. Now I've read stories of people that have gone out, and particularly back in the 1700s, 1800s, when travel was not fast like it is today. So when they went to another country, um, they were committed. They took the gospel to unreached people. And today we read, um, almost every week we read the unreached people groups of the day. And if there's somebody here that says, you know, I, I have a heart for those people. I want to go, but man, you know, sitting in church at 72 degrees on a Sunday morning when it's 10 degrees outside is really comfortable. I can just hop in my car, a couple minutes, I'm at church. I do not want to leave the comfort of this church. 
or I don't want to leave the comfort of being able to do what I do on a day-to-day basis. Because some of the people that have gone in the past, they're, they're committed to the task, and when it says regardless, it's not going to have the comfort of what we experience here today. You might go through periods of time when you're hungry. You might go through discouragement, but your task is to reach the lost. And so today, if you were to go over to China and reach the un- unreached people group of today, what would be involved in getting there? Would it be a commitment? It would be a commitment. And you'd have to have that, that deep faith in God and, and the joy of God and, and just have that relationship with God that no matter what, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to fulfill the calling that God has taken me to. Jumping on to pastors, a pastor cares for the sheep. And I'm going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. He says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So the Greek word for pastor means shepherd. So a shepherd is a person that feeds, he cares for, and he protects his sheep. Or in this case, a person that feeds, cares for, and protects God's people. To get a visual, King David, before he was a king, was a shepherd. And he used the things he learned as a young boy in in taking care of a sheep and and then later on taking some of those things he learned, life lessons, into leading the kingdom of Israel. This is not an exclusive list, but some of the things that I wrote down for a pastor is should have a godly love. And this is things that we all should have, but definitely a pastor. A godly love, willing to lay down his life, uh, to protect and also to have a vision, have vision in life of what needs to happen, and along with that, give direction. That is a good pastor. As, as a shepherd, a shepherd would have, um, he has to care for sheep. So, you know, today you just throw them some hay and give them some grain, make sure they have water, and they're fine. But in the days of King David, he had to find food for them. He had to take them where they could find food, and not only that, but lead them to water. And not only that, but to watch out for predators. So he had to constantly be on guard, had to constantly look for places for them to get food and water. So he had a vision of where to go and gave them direction. And as long as the sheep followed him and the shepherd did his job, um, a foolish shepherd would have said, hey, sheep, I want you to follow me and then take him out to the desert and say, ha ha, I tricked you. That would not be a good shepherd. So a shepherd takes the sheep where they can find food, and he's also willing to lay down his life. David, on two occasions, killed wild beasts with his own hands. Now, I don't know if it happened all of a sudden, or if things went through David's mind like, you know, I don't care if that bear eats me, but I'm going to defend it, my sheep, with my life. And I believe in those cases, God gave him power. But those were uh, two examples of where he was willing to risk his body or his life for his sheep. And we know that, that God, or Jesus, when he came down, he laid down his life for us. And that's the perfect example of somebody caring for people that, that are of, I mean, we, we as 
as an individual, I look at what God did for me, and he wouldn't have had to do that. But God was willing to lay down his life for the sake of mine and for the sake of yours. That is a good pastor. A teacher. A teacher's job is to train up believers in the word, and they teach the body the word of God with wisdom, correction, and knowledge, so that we are able to apply the word of the word to our lives rightly and thus mature as ambassadors for the kingdom. Some of the things I wrote down for a teacher is obviously a teacher should be truthful. Um, imagine a teacher teaching half of the things that are right and half the things that are wrong. You finally would lose interest in hearing what he has to say. A teacher should have the knowledge of the scripture and he should also want others to succeed. Um, there's a lot of people that have individualism. They look for what they can do and what they can get out of life. That does not work in any of these three, in the, in the evangelist, the pastor, or the teacher. They have to be willing to, um, in their minds, think, I want others to succeed. I want people to uh, flourish and blossom in the kingdom of God. I came across this, these three scenarios, and this would work for all of those, the the, and going back to the five that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. So you have, the, you have the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So you imagine one of, these, one of these people that has the gift of God that God has given them, and that gift is like a torch. And so they're sitting on a chair on a street corner, and it's dark outside, and they're holding up this torch so that people can see so the first guy comes along and he looks at that light and he says, I want that light. That is a good light. And so he asks the individual, says, can I have your light? That's the first scenario. And the man that has the gift says, no, you can't have this light. This is my light. Another person comes up and he sees the man with the gift of God holding his torch. And they see it, and they're frightened, and they're scared, and they run away. The third person comes up, and he sees the man with the gift of God holding his torch. And they bring up another chair, and they sit beside him, and they look at there and admire him. That is a nice torch. I really like your torch. And they go and tell all their friends about how such a nice torch he has. So we have different reactions. When you see somebody that has a gift that God has given them, we react in different ways. Some people say, I want that gift. I want that very gift that you have. Other people are like, I'm scared of gifts. I don't like gifts. And they run away. And other people sit there and just admire the gifts. And they talk about these gifts. They talk about um, this certain evangelist. They talk about this certain apostle. They talk about this certain teacher. They even write books about him. And the truth is, is that those three scenarios that none of you should be involved in that because God has given a gift to everyone individually. So you should not desire the gift that God has given Keith or Lynn or Aaron. You should ask God, what torch do you want me to sit there with? Or what torch do you want me to show forth to the world? Because God has a gift for you and it might look different or in a different way than the gift for someone else. But too many times we look at a person as a gift and we admire that person. And we say, I want to be like him. 
when God says, no, I want you to be like you. How does a person keep his gift, or in this case, his torch burning? Because as a torch burns, it consumes fuel. I believe that a, t that a person that has a gift keeps it by continual learning, by continual relationship with God, and God keeps feeding that, keeps feeding it. And it's just like dumping that fuel. And God says, I want to give my spirit, that gift to you as an individual, and I'm not gonna, it's not just a one-time gift, but it's continual. I'm going to keep supplying you with that fuel. Now I'm going to jump on to, um, there's several different passages in the scripture that, that the three different passages deal a lot. There, there's some similarities in them, and that is in, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in Romans chapter 12 um, and Hebrews 4. Um, deal with God giving gifts to his believers. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to turn to that one first. If you, if you want to um, turn to that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, th these are, this is a passage here that I believe would teach us that, that nobody as a believer uh, has an out. That says, I don't need to use my gift, or God, doesn't, God never gave me a gift. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 16 in chapter 2. And it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord, the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. <clears throat> Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is a spiritual judgeth all things, yea, he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. So in 1 Corinthians 2, um, based in a nutshell, is as a believer, you should be receiving the spiritual knowledge 
and the abilities that you have from God. God gives that to you and is something that the natural, it says the natural man does not know the things of the spirit. But the, but the spirit of God reveals to the spiritual man the things of God. So we have a split here. If you, if, if, if you see a natural man or if you're in the natural, it's going to be hard for you to receive the things of the spirit of God, to receive his direction. Because the spirit of God speaks with the spirit of man. If you want to learn things today, you go to school. Um, different of you have different occupations, and every once in a while you have to either look at a book, a manual, or go sit in a class and you have to figure out how to do things. And that is, you're receiving instruction in a natural sense in the natural man. Um, some jobs are really easy. Some jobs are complex. Um, and I don't even know what the hardest job is out there. I would say um, being figuring out something with how to get a, a rocket to the moon, for instance, or in outer space. To me, that would be extremely difficult I would just finally say, you know what, let me just put this much fuel in a rocket and put two men in it, and hopefully, you know, I'm going to, right time of the day, I think, I mean, they do that down there in Florida, so we can do that in Iowa. Let's just light it off and go. And then uh, how, how successful would I be? I, I, probably not. So it takes a lot of wisdom, it takes a lot of learning, and that's the natural man receiving the natural instructions. So how much more complex is the Christian life. Um, I think you all just admitted that you don't know everything about God. And you might say, God is so complex. I, there's, there's no way I could learn the rest of my life and I still wouldn't know everything about God. Does that mean that we should not stop, we should not start trying? Because I believe the more things that you know about God, it'll increase your faith, it'll increase the your ability to serve others, it'll increase the ability for you to serve God. So there should be that desire for us to sit in class, so to speak, in the presence of God and listen to his instruction of what he has to offer. I'm going to quick flip over to Romans chapter 12 and verses 3 through 9. And there are some of these that have, some of these chapters have some similarities in it, so if we do cross over, um, just bear with me on that. <clears throat> Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligent, diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. <coughs> so in verse, um, verse 6, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So we have, the church of God has many members. And 
we are all different. If you don't think you're different, sit in a, spend an afternoon together and just talk about things. And you will discover that there are some similarities, but there's also some differences. And that's the way we are. There's a lot of things about us. And even in just this small group, there's a lot of differences in this small group. And you can figure that out. In 1 Corinthians 12, I want to turn to that real quick. 1 Corinthians 12, um, I'm going to be just picking a few verses out of here. And in verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant. I'm going to teach you some things. And in verse 4, he says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So as God gives gifts out, so that man that's, that's on the street corner sitting on a chair with that torch, he gives them a gift, but that torch is going to be different than the next man sitting down the street from him. He's going to be holding a different gift. So he says there are diversities of gifts, but it all comes from the same source. It all comes from the Spirit of God. In verse 7 and 8, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. If you all bring a mirror today, I'd have you pull the mirror out and find out who, who did God give a gift to. So you pull the mirror out, oh, that's me. So God gave you a gift. He says, to every man to profit with all. In verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. And in verse, I'm going to read down through verse 11. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing out to every man severally as he will. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited when I, when I think about God giving gifts to every man, to every believer, and to see what God can do when you work with your gift. What is the best way to discover your gift? Um, I've heard already that people said, I know I have a gift, but I don't know what it is. So what is your gift? I believe that God, as, as you accepted Christ, and you made that choice in your heart to follow God and to accept his forgiveness, that God said, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to help you in your walk. I'm going to help you be able to get along with your brother and your sister. I want, to, I want to give you a gift to help you build up the kingdom and the church. There could be different ways you can discover your gift, but one of the things, I, or several things I wrote down, and you'll find this, is... To remove your sins and you may you might think well i'm a believer i don't have any sin all my sins forgiven you well let's just put down faults then how many of you have a fault that is covering up you knowing what your gift is maybe maybe you have a gift but your intention is to use that gift for personal gain or you want to be recognized so you have personal gain either it could be financially it could be through being known 
um, maybe it's recognition, or you want to be able to use that gift as a talent so that people admire you, so that you're going to be sitting on that corner and people are going to walk up and they're going to pull up another chair and they're just going to admire you and tell you how good your gift is. So, and if God knows that's in your heart, because we all recognize that God knows everything, and if he sees that in us, he's like, you're not quite ready for that gift. So I think the best way to discover your gift is ask. Ask God, what is my gift? And you'll start, rec- you'll start knowing things as you follow God and you start, you start peeling off those layers of imperfections. That God, you'll, you'll discover that gift that's in you, that God put in you. And you start exercising this gift and it becomes more pronounced. Um, I watch little children learn to walk. And we all cheer and we send each other messages. Uh, So-and-so took three steps today. And now they're up to, they can walk across the room. And then it's the next one is, I wish they wouldn't get in so much trouble. So is walking a gift. We're excited about the gift, but then it turns into selfish reasons. So make sure that if you do discover your gift, as you progress, that you use it for the right reason. And don't use it to get into trouble, as a child would sometimes when they learn to walk. It's like, I've always wanted to go over there to that candy jar, but I've never been able to walk there, and my parents just don't give me that candy jar. So now that I can walk, I have this gift of walking, I can now go get into trouble. Now think of this as an evangelist. Let's say if a person has a gift of evangelism, but he has a problem with anger, how is he going to exercise the gift that God gave him? How many of you love to listen to an angry evangelist? I mean, people are just flocking to see him. Lines out the door. I think not. What about a teacher that has a problem with stealing? So all these people come listen to the teacher, and they walk out the door, and they discover they're missing the keys to their car. Or I mean, I mean, I don't know of anybody like that, but, but imagine if a teacher had a problem with stealing. Where, how would he use his gift in the proper way? It wouldn't. It wouldn't work. Or how about a pastor that is negligent and he's crafty? He's got these problems, but he's a good pastor. I've got the gift of of being a pastor. How many sheep would he have in his fold? Hmm, Probably not many. So we see that, that even if God is giving you a gift, if you neglect that gift and you, you overshadow that or you cover that up with your own negligence, your own faults, And that, in a sense, keeps that gift hidden and unused. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3 through 4. um, I'll turn to that one real quick. 1 Corinthians 3, 3 through 4. So for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? So being carnal will hinder the growth or the use of the spiritual gifts that God has given to every believer. And and they start bickering amongst themselves. And it says there's divisions and there's strife. So that would tell me that if you have a group that has envying, has strife, and has bitterness, that there's way, way too much carnal going on. And people are not exercising the spiritual gifts that, that God has given them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, 
Paul is telling the Corinthians, he says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I am of Christ. So there are divisions, and God, and Paul's intention is that there's no divisions, and that um, there are no contentions, but rather they speak the same things and be perfectly joined together. Um, you look at your body and the way it functions. You walk with your feet, you use your hands to feed yourself, uh, to drive a car, use your mouth to speak, and every part of your body has a function. And it's all working together. And you watch somebody run and jump and do activities, and it takes pretty much the whole body to, to be in sync and to be attached in the proper places. If God would have said, I'm going to take one arm and put it down where the leg is and take this leg and put it up where the arm was, um, we would be hopping around. It, it, wouldn't, uh, it just doesn't work. So everything has to be in place and working. And that's how the body of Christ is. Is God, all-knowing, says... I want to give a gift to this person. I want to give a gift to this person. And the purpose is of that gift is not just so that this person can do his job and that this person does his job, but Jesus, as he looks, or God, as he looks around at everybody, he knows the needs of everybody. And he gives gifts accordingly. So what is the purpose of the gift that God has given to all the believers? Um... And I believe in, or in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about to equip his people for the work of service, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And this is one of the best ones, to become mature. To become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I've heard already that one person said, and if you look in your own life, you say, I've got a gift or I've got a talent that's God, that's God gave me, and I wish other people would have this gift, would have this talent. And, and this person said that every believer, so if you look around at all the believers, there is one area of somebody else that they are better in than you are. So you as yourself are just part of the makeup. And that's why if you are strong in one area, you're probably weaker in another area. And as this person is stronger in one area but weaker in another area, you see how you draw upon the strengths of each other. Instead of looking at the weaknesses of the people, that's what drives you apart, is when you start saying, well, you can't, you can't evangelize as good as this person. You don't have as much knowledge as I do. You don't have as much, you, the list goes on, and you start bickering at each other, and, and that's what drives those wedges in between people, and it creates dissension. It, it creates discord. But if you start looking at somebody, I need you in my life because you have this gift, and for some reason God did not give me that gift. I wish I had it, but, but God has given me this gift. And I need you to help me out in this. And we start seeing the beauty of people working together because of the different gifts that God says, in order to make this body complete, we need people to exercise their gifts. And it says, to attain the whole measure in the fullness of Christ. And that means everything. So what are the results? 
that are mentioned. It's maturity, to speak the truth in love, to grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, which is Christ. It says, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And the end result, we have harmony. In Ephesians 4.13 says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 30 through 33, it indicates that we all may be saved. That's the end goal that God wants, is that we all may be saved. Now there is a, um, I don't know if it's a problem, but you see people that have developed gifts. And they've done it for their own glory and for their own purpose. And they just come up with their own. They say, you know what, I want to be, you fill in the blank. And you become that. And some of that is good. Some, some people see a need in the church and say, you know what, this church really needs a good janitor. This church really needs a, a good, I'm going to be the person that organizes and whatever. I'm going to be a choir director, you name it. And, I'm going to be, and so you decide to do that. And, and from the outside, it looks like, yeah, we need people like that. You're good at what you do. And, and while it's not necessarily wrong for you to be in that place, but, but the question is, is, did you ask God, and is that your gift? You can go ahead and do those things, but don't do just solely that whatever you came up with on your own mind. Because if God has a gift for you, and you, you left that gift alone and came up with your own, maybe the gift that God gave you, you said, I don't get enough recognition for that, or I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't want to do it. That's, that's getting apart from, you still have a gift, but it's more a natural gift. It's more um, something that people might admire you, and, and I believe that God has a gift, a spiritual gift for you that will do it, that will help in the long run. So you can say people that they have gifts, they have talents, and you can even say the person is very useful in the church or in the community, but there's a slight problem, and it's because it's not done in the right spirit. And I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody here. I'm just saying that that can be a problem, is if you come up with your own gift instead of using the gift that God has given to you. Unless it's revealed to somebody, but God is the only one that knows what your gift is, unless he revealed that to you or revealed it to somebody else. So that's why you have to ask God to reveal that to you. Your gifts should be God-directed and for his purpose and for his glory. If you want a prayer to pray, a good prayer is a simple prayer, and it says, Lord, use me in any way. Very simple prayer. You can write it down. You can memorize it. Lord, use me in any way. And if you truly mean that, you might be surprised with the gift that God gives you. You might be surprised with what comes out of that. You shouldn't be, but you might be. One of the things that I, I have as a, that, I mean, it, I don't know if it's a vision or not, but um, I love to see people working together. And there have been cases in, 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 in the past where you might have two people that just can't get along with each other. And, and one of the things that goes through mind is there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way to figure that out. There's got to be a way to resolve that. 
and what does it take? One of the first steps is to pray to God, but not only that, but just recognize. So if it's me, recognizing where am I at? Am I surrendered to God? Have I given up my own will and my own desire? To me, that is one of the first steps in reconciliation in any bad relationships. It could be in, in the community. It can be in business, wherever. But do a heart search. Say, God, use me in any way. And it's like um, David said in the Psalms, search me, O God, and know me, and try my thoughts. So as we look at the gifts, not just of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, or a pastor, but God has given gifts to other people, to, you, to every believer, be a gift of wisdom, um, the list goes on and on. And if you look at the passages in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and in 1 Corinthians 12, and there's other verses, but especially those three chapters, it gives so much insight into the gifts that God has called the church to. And it should be for the purpose of building up the kingdom of God until we all come to the unity of the faith. So just remember again, God knows everything and we don't. And let's rely upon him for the gifts that God gives us.